We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, July 25th, 2022, as we bring you a new show. Just five months away from Christmas, if you wanted to start sweating about that. Speaking of sweating... I did a lot of sweating at Gary T. Ray Field this weekend, watching the White Sox and Guardians square off for their four games. What began as a disastrous start with Lucas Giolito getting beat up and bordering a series loss. But thanks to A.J. Pollock and Aloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease, the White Sox were able to salvage a series split and are still at 500 with a 48 and 48 record. We'll recap the action of the series while also taking a look at the upcoming Major League Baseball trade deadline. It's only eight days away, folks, so the storm of moves will approach soon. White Sox GM Rick Hahn said that the bullpen is a priority again for adding. Yes, I hear your groans. We'll share some player targets that we think make sense for the White Sox, and later on, we'll have the Colorado Rockies beat reporter Patrick Lyons from DNVR join us to preview the two games in Denver is the White Sox and Rocky square off. Jim Margulis is officially on the Sox Machine podcast seven-day injured list. So joining me again is James Fox. And James, again, thank you so much for stepping in. We both thought that the White Sox could win this series against Cleveland over the weekend, but ultimately it's a series split. How are you feeling about the White Sox efforts this past weekend? So, I mean, obviously, like, I don't feel as terrible as I felt like midday on Saturday, right? Um, I, I think the one thing you and I did not, I guess, see coming was, like, the Lucas Giolito, like, getting... And, look, he wasn't even that bad, I don't think. Like, he just, like, got dinked and dunked all over, and all of a sudden, it's 6 nothing, right? So, that's, like, what we weren't anticipating. That doesn't happen. He keeps you in a game. Maybe they do win the 3 or 4 that we thought, right? So, mm -hmm. that's where, like, it's, like, these games are just so, like... Obviously, like you, you blow one of them that you shouldn't and you split instead of taking three out of four. I, you know, they, they rebounded nicely, obviously, like some questionable decisions gave up, a, gave up a lead in the second game of the doubleheader on Saturday, um, ended up stealing that, thankfully, 
And then Sunday was, I think, what we needed to see, right? So I think now I kind of feel similar to how I felt, like after they took three or four in Minnesota, and then we'll see, right? I think the thing that gives me the most hope, and maybe I shouldn't have any hope just because of the way this team plays, is the next eight games, man. Like, it's time. We've been saying this all year, but it is. Two with Colorado, three with Oakland, three with Kansas City, with the trade deadline in there, while those teams are theoretically, like, trying to get worse. This has to be, like, the time where they at least, like, get a few over 500 right now. Yeah, they got to go, like, six and two, right? They should go six and two in Mm -hmm. this stretch. They should sweep Oakland next weekend. I'm going to say this now on Monday. They should sweep Oakland over the weekend. That is a really bad baseball team, the Oakland Athletics at this moment. And some of the things that you point out, James, I I do agree with. You know, we were hoping that Lucas Giolito would continue his good run. That did not happen. It was a 4-4 to game in game one of the doubleheader, and Liam Hendricks gives up three runs. That was not expected. And then, of course, Emmanuel Classe comes in, and he shuts the door on the White Sox. That's the difference between someone who gets one out in the All-Star game and the guy who gets to close it out and get the save at the All-Star game. Emmanuel Classe is having a better season. Then Liam Hendricks. Hendricks gave up another run in the fourth game. Uh, Cleveland just knows how to hit Liam Hendricks, and that it could be an issue for later in this season. Matt Foster got a save. I mean, you want to talk about questionable bullpen decisions. Uh, even though Kendall Graveman and Liam Hendricks threw in game one, they did not throw that many pitches. Maybe they should have came out in game two, but thanks to Josh Harrison's defensive play, he saved the game for the White Sox with Matt Foster getting the save. So kudos to him and and Lance Lynn really bounced back. I mean, the White Sox at back-to-back games, James, have had fantastic starts from Lance Lynn, which we needed to see after his rough first seven starts coming off the injured list, and then Dylan Cease, which we'll talk about Dylan Cease in a moment. But this is a 19-game stretch against American League Central teams, James, and the White Sox only went 10-9. and Both Cleveland and the White Sox lost a game to the Twins over the weekend because they swept the Tigers. It was two games, but they swept them. So now the White Sox are four games back, but they're three games back of Seattle for the final postseason spot as the Mariners got beat up by Houston. So when we look at this 19-game stretch, do they do enough? A a, a 10-9 and record over 19 games against the division. Is that satisfying? Uh, I don't know if it's satisfying, but like they're – they're still here, right? They're here. They're buyers. They have theoretically have an easy schedule coming up. Um, I I think what we thought was like, I think all year we've been saying it, right? They can't get buried. They can't get buried. They're not buried. They're four back. And as much as we would have liked them to like step on the throat and get to one or two back, you know, there's just like still the chance that that can happen because of their upcoming schedule compared to the upcoming schedules of the other teams in the division. You know, Cleveland is a thorn in the White Sox side. They're eight, what, eight and five against them this season, I believe. Mm-hmm. 40 and 41 against the rest of baseball. So, you know, it's just, yeah, that, that's a frustrating baseball team that knows how to play against the White Sox. We've talked about it before. You know, just a bevy of right-handed starters and guys that put the ball in play. And that's, uh, you know, a bad combination for the White Sox. So, um, I don't, look, I don't think anybody should be satisfied but like they, they didn't get buried and they're alive here and we're going to keep following along because of that. So a concern I do have for the White Sox moving forward is which players could play every day. Like we know Jose Abreu plays every day. Yoan Makata has been playing every day. 
Tim Anderson did not play all four games. We talked about that. Like, hey, you had the all-star break. You had days off, all hands on deck. No, he gets a game off because Tony La Russa says that all-star game festivities is taxing. While we watched Cleveland's all-stars play almost every game over the weekend. Uh, that was an interesting dichotomy between the two franchises and the two managers. And then there's Andrew Vaughn. I need the White Sox trainers, James, not Tony the Russa, not Rick Khan, the White Sox trainers to tell us exactly why Andrew Vaughn cannot play three games in a row, James, because this whole situation with Andrew Vaughn to me is a bit crazy. Someone who's in their mid twenties, but he could play two games and then, then he needs a day off. Like that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Like, was it a matter of like, he was DH only because like Tony said he could pinch hit, right? So yes. like, was it a matter of he could DH, but they wanted to DH Aloy instead. Therefore he couldn't play. I don't, the whole thing's weird. The whole season has been weird, Josh. Like we've been, you know, we, I thought we did this in April and May so that we wouldn't have to do it now. Mm-hmm. And they're like still doing it. And part of me feels, and <laughs> I didn't think I'd ever say this, but part of me feels a little bad for Tony Larusa because like, he's clearly getting like, and look, like I coach high school football and it's like a lot different, obviously, but we get the thumbs up or the thumbs down for the trainer. And like, that's basically, you know, where it ends. Like that guy thumbs down, doesn't play. I kind of think that's what this is. It's just like, yep, that guy's not available. Yep. That guy's not available. And then Tony has to talk to the media and try to like tell all of us crazy people, like, you know, <laughs> why this is happening. You know um, I, I don't know. I don't get it. I mean, Rick Hahn swears that the training staff is different and look, I think it is. I think, you know, assuming that Goldie Simmons is the same as Alan Thomas because he worked here before isn't fair to Goldie Simmons. You know, if I took over for my boss, I wouldn't do things exactly the same way. And like, you know, they talk about how the spring training was shortened and all that stuff. But I mean, something's clearly going on. Like there's, they've changed something to the point where like they're using sports science and like, it's truly like a, oh, it would be good if this guy was like resting today. But like there, it's like, it should be all hands on deck now. So that's why it's frustrating. I mean, I think it's, I, I was more frustrated by Hendricks not pitching game two of the doubleheader. They threw 16 pitches in game one. Like you can't go again. Like you just had, yeah, I know he threw in the all, like whatever. He, he was an all-star. Like that's fine. They're off today or they're off Monday and Thursday coming up after four straight off days. Like I just, I, I don't, I don't get it at all. It doesn't make any sense. I, yeah. I, the, the thing that they have like too many guys that need a DH sometimes I get that part, but the part where like guys need rest that are 24 years old doesn't really make much sense to me. We'll just have a three game rotation where Vaughn is in the outfield. Vaughn's at first base, giving Abreu a day off and Abreu DHs and then Vaughn's DHing. Like Vaughn is still one of your best hitters. And again, you, you hit it on the head. Like we've been having this conversation since April and May with Andrew Vaughn. Like, why is he batting here in the lineup? But in the bottom part of the lineup, he's one of your best hitters, bat him in the top three, top three. And now here we are in late July. And it's like, are you serious? Like against Oakland is Andrew Vaughn going to need a day off against the athletics because the trainers say that he could only play back-to-back games and that third day he needs off like that screams that there could be something seriously wrong, or it's just that they're being way too careful on a very young player. I think it's that I think like, look, I don't know how, like how much are we supposed to like Andrew Vaughn played first base exclusively at Cal essentially skipped the minor leagues 
and now is asked to like play the outfield more than he's ever played before. So like, I get that, but like, if it's, ju- if he's just sore, <laughs> like, I don't know. Like what, I mean, you, you would think that he could just like go out and play sore. Like it's like guys are sore. It's there's, they've played like a hundred baseball games. Like, of course, everybody's hurt. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you know, like, I, I don't know. I don't get it. It's like, they, they like treat him like a giant baby. And like, I don't, I don't, you know, it's not really fair probably, but like, I just, I don't get, and it seemed like Tony today was, he, he was right out there. Like I didn't choose to play Gavin Sheets over Vaughn. They told me Vaughn had to, like he was out defending himself before the game because he knew what questions were coming as soon as people saw that lineup. Yeah. I, I, I think I'm with you. This is another area where, I know we give Tony La Russa grief, but it really sounds like today made it very no- well known that it is the White Sox trainers making this decision, whether or not if Andrew Vaughn is available. And I would hate for the White Sox to miss the playoffs by a game or two because Andrew Vaughn's only playing 75% of the games. He is available for 100% of the games because he's not hurt. He's not on the injured list, but because he needs off days, at the ripe age of what, 24? And the 35 year old first baseman, Jose Abreu, is playing every stinking game. It just, it just seems really weird to me of what's going on with playing time concerning Andrew Vaughn. Aloy Jimenez, still not good defensively, James, as Cleveland challenged him often on base hits that they were able to stretch singles to doubles because Jimenez is slow to the ball. And not, not only is he slow to the ball, He is not good at throwing the baseball to second base. However, Jimenez did have big home runs this weekend as he hit home runs in back-to-back games for the White Sox. With the current roster construction, and that's the key phrase here, are we stuck watching Aloy Jimenez play left field for the White Sox, James? Um, I think a lot, yes. But I'm curious to see what they do in Colorado, though, just because like, I think I recall Larusa mentioning that he didn't want Jimenez playing in the outfield in the biggest outfield in baseball. So the thing is like Tuesday night, like if we could fast forward, like I feel like Aloy is either going to be in the outfield or on the bench because with Kopech starting, you would think Reese McGuire is going to catch. And then Yaz is the DH. So there's no DH spot available for Aloy. So Aloy is either on the bench or in left field. I would think then there's the question of, you know, do you just say screw it and, try to hit in Colorado and play AJ Pollock in center, you know, like, cause like they just have, they have some decisions that they have to make there. If Vaughn's healthy enough to play Vaughn's in right field and Pollock's in center field and yee, but you know, hopefully they just score a bunch of runs and it won't matter, but that is, it's the, it's the biggest outfield in baseball. And I'm curious to see what they do. And then Michael Kopech, obviously like it has a personal catcher. So I would imagine Reese McGuire's getting Tuesday night's game against the Rockies. That, that's a good point, James. And man, and Aloy Jimenez in left field, AJ Pollock in center field, and Andrew Vaughn or Gavin Sheets in right field at Coors Field. Keep the ball on the ground or strike everyone out, White Sox pitchers. Yeah. <laughs> Those are your options. Because if there's a ball in the gap, I think that's an automatic triple at Coors Field. Like AJ Pollock, he had a good weekend for the White Sox, and he knows Coors Field very well. He's played a lot of games at Coors Field. Uh, I think this would be the first time for both Aloy Jimenez and I know for sure Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets, they've never played at Coors Field before. So it's really just A.J. Pollock. I don't even know if Adam Engel played at Coors Field. Uh, it's the last time the White Sox played there was in 2017. 
Uh, so this is going to be a brand new experience for a lot of the White Sox outfielders other than A.J. Pollock. So maybe it does make sense for Pollock to play center field because he knows the dimensions. But as long as Jimenez is hitting like he has and, he, and he's, he's hitting the ball into the stands, James, I can live with the bad defense because singles being stretched to doubles, the White Sox pitching staff can pitch around that. If he comes up to the plate and has a big smash and he's adding runs to the scoreboard, I think that's the situation where it makes up for his poor defensive play. But when Aloy's not hitting and he's making these poor defensive plays still, that's when it becomes unbearable. So as long as Aloy is on fire right now and he continues to rake for the White Sox, yeah, he's fine defensively. Or he's he's fine as the left field yeah. solution for right now for the White well, Sox. And I think the biggest I think the biggest problem is like I'm not sure that he's worse than Vaughn and Sheets are. Like True. like it's just like and obviously like yeah it's like he's a caricature out there and he falls down and he does dumb things but like I, I mean he's probably faster than both of those guys. Like he makes plays occasionally. Like I don't think the other two guys could like hurt themselves out there. But neither one of them's good. I mean, Andrew Vaughn's like value is completely cratered because they play him in the outfield. You know, like we know how valuable he is because I think we watch the bat every day. But I mean, if you look at his like numbers on fan graphs or it's like, oh, he doesn't, he's not really worth very much. It's like, yeah, because he's playing in an outfield corner and he's a first baseman. So yeah, I mean, I if look, if he like hits like this, he's playing. So, but they just got to figure out this weird roster. You know, this might be controversial too, but like I would consider sending sheets down for Adam Hazley and they won't because mm. it would have been today. Not that you would play Hazley, but if you want to like try to play for offense with Pollock and some of these guys, at least you'd have the defensive replacement on your bench. And then you just send Hazley down Friday for Robert, if Robert's ready. Cause I just, I don't really see the point of Gavin sheets a lot of times right now, but definitely for this Colorado series, there there's no reason for him to be playing in this series. Yeah, because he's not going to DH over Grandal or Jimenez or Vaughn. Or if Larusa does give a day off at first base to Abreu, I still think we're going to see either Vaughn or even Grandal play first base uh, over Gavin Sheets. It just doesn't seem like Gavin Sheets has a consistent workload right now. And if you want him to have consistent at-bats, I agree with you, James. Send him down to Charlotte. Someone that's not going to go to Charlotte anytime soon is Dylan Cease. James, he's on one hell of a run. He leads Major League Baseball now in strikeouts. He has 154. That's one strikeout more than Garrett Cole. His 2.03 season ERA is fourth best in Major League Baseball for starting pitchers. He's come such a long way, Dylan Cease has, since the 2020 season, where he had a lower strikeout rate than Dallas Keuchel. Great stuff, but just didn't know how to strike anyone out. Two years later, and I'm not going to say it's a repeat of the Lucas Giolito story, but it is just amazing and how well Dylan Cease has been throwing and someone that the White Sox can count on. And thanks to this nugget of information from Codify, Dylan Cease joins Bob Gibson as the only other pitcher to allow just three earned runs over an 11-start span. And that was the 1968 season for Bob Gibson. So this is a truly special run for Dylan Cease. And again, if the White Sox want to win the Central, they still need Dylan Cease to be this dominant. Do you think he can maintain this run? Yeah, I think so. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, You know, he's not going to win the Cy Young, I don't think, because like 
Justin Verlander exists right now, Mm -hmm. but he's going to be in the discussion. And I kind of think like, you know, Dylan C's did this for a period last year, right? Where we felt really good. But I do think the last two years, like he gets into a playoff game and you still feel a little bit uneasy. And in Houston, like he, you know, against Houston, he wasn't very good. This time, if the White Sox get in and he's starting game one, like I am not going to feel uneasy. Like that, that's, I'm going to feel good. Like sending Dylan Cease to the mound game one. I just think it's the transformation of a guy who looked like a future top of the rotation starter that's finally getting there. And look, like the command sometimes isn't great and there's a lot of walks, but like he misses so many bats, like nobody hits his stuff, right? So he doesn't, he doesn't fall into these problems where he gets like, you know, he doesn't give up 10 or 11 hits in a start in his bad starts. It would be walks followed by wild pitches or like an occasional homer that would get him. He's just absolutely unhittable when his stuff works. Well, we're going to take a quick break, but coming up next on the Sox Machine podcast, the trade deadline is just eight days away. Who should the White Sox target? We share our picks next. Based on our data at Sox Machine, chances are very high you are enjoying a cup of coffee while listening to this podcast episode, and I would love to tell you about Trade Coffee. Trade Coffee is a subscription service, and it sends you freshly roasted beans from 60 of the country's best craft roasters, small businesses who pay farmers fair prices to sustainably source the greatest beans from around the world. Whether your friends call you a coffee snob or you just know it when coffee tastes really perfect, Trade's real coffee experts personally taste test over 450 rows so they know exactly what to recommend for you. It's really simple. You just go to tradecoffee.com. You take their coffee quiz. After their coffee quiz, they line up what coffees best would line up with your taste preferences. And then you schedule when you receive your coffee. Because the truth is, what I like and what you like could be totally different. You will like a selection of specific coffees that are different from anyone else's tastes. So again, just answer a couple of questions on tradecoffee.com and you'll get your own personalized variety of coffees delivered fresh to you as often as you like. No gimmicks. Trade delivers a bag of freshly roasted coffee as whole beans or ground for however you brew it at home and they guarantee you'll love your first order or they will replace it for free. As Trade has delivered over 5 million bags of fresh coffee with more than 750,000 positive reviews. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus shipping when you go to drinktrade.com slash machine. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com slash machine and let trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com slash machine for $30 off. Welcome back to the Sox Machine podcast. All right, James, the Major League Baseball trade deadline is just eight days away. This year, the deadline is Tuesday, August 2nd. We'll have another Twitter spaces covering all of the deals just like we had last year. Rick Hahn told the media before this series against Cleveland that his focus is adding more to the bullpen. Let's start there, James. What does the bullpen need and why is Rick Hahn making it his top priority? So left-handed reliever and a good one, right? It can't just be like some guy. It's got to kind of be a decent lefty reliever, I would think. Aaron Bummer, they said, isn't going to be back till September. I think anytime you hear lat, um, 
it's a little bit scary because it's not like super serious, but but it like takes forever for you to come back. So Garrett Crochet is obviously out for the year. Tanner Banks uh, quietly has done a really good job. But I mean, that that has to be the move. I think, and look, we can get into names if you want. I just, you know, I don't know if there's like some premium option available. Ever since we played Tech, ever since the White Sox played Texas, I wanted Matt Moore. Like mm-hmm. as soon as I saw him, I was like, yep, that's the guy if they're out of it. But, you know, him or Andrew Chafin from Detroit, like somebody like that. I, I, they, they need a left-handed reliever. Um, I just... You know, the reason why some of the sellers are sellers is because they don't have awesome left-handed relievers on their team. So I don't know how many guys are truly available. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Matt Moore. He's on my list. Another one that's on my list is A.J. Puck from Oakland. Now, Puck has multiple years of control left, so it's not exactly a cheap move. But Oakland is not hiding their attentions with Puck. He's not a starting pitcher. This is someone that is going to be a reliever in the majors, even though he was taken sixth overall in the first round of the major league baseball draft. And the reason I highlight puck is that if that is a direction that Rick Hahn wanted to go, suddenly a Garrett crochet becomes available in other trade conversations, James, even though he is hurt and he's out for the year, we saw Rick Hahn trade Nick Madrigal, who was out for the year last year and got Craig Kimbrell. So that's where I, I, that's it. That's another name I'm paying attention to because as I said, this on my radio hit on six, seven, the score with Dan Bernstein and Lawrence Holmes. And we mentioned this in the last episode that the Oakland A's remind me of a Kmart that's gone on a business and they have a liquidation sale. Everything must go. And if AJ puck is available, maybe that is a possible target for the white Sox to add into their bullpen it's a multi-year solution and perhaps it makes someone like garrett crochet available in other trade conversations all right so we both agree when rick Hahn says that he needs to add to the bullpen it is a left-handed reliever because they only have one right now in tanner banks who would you like the white Sox to target in the trade market before the deadline so like not counting the left-handed relievers i do have a couple of ideas um I just like, I don't know how big they're going to go. I don't know how big they can go. I don't think Colson Montgomery's going anywhere. Um, you know, I think Oscar Colas is pretty good, but I don't think he has a ton of trade value because of, because of like how old he is. I just like, don't really see the White Sox emptying the farm here, but I do think you could go with a fairly cheap, typical White Sox like deadline and still improve if you wanted to. I think Jose Quintana makes a lot of sense. Hmm. I'm not sure that he makes another start for Pittsburgh. I don't know what it's going to cost. It'd be something we've heard of. Obviously that allows you to like mess with Michael Kopech's innings a little bit, right? You bring Q back. He goes into the rotation, whether, whether Kopech goes into the bullpen full-time or not, whatever, like he could start sometimes, or I still think he's going to be innings limited down the stretch. So if there's a starter acquired out of nowhere, you know, that, that could be why now, you know, a guy like Tyler Molly or somebody or, that would be great. I just, I just don't know that they have the pieces to outbid other teams that want something like that. And then if you're looking for offense, a guy that I think you could just add that wouldn't cost that much Tyler Naquin out of Cincinnati, not great, obviously 120 ish WRC plus against right-handed pitching, you know, that's like just a better option than Gavin sheets or Adam Hazley 
or even playing Adam Engel against a right-handed pitcher. Just like another guy that you could, because like, I think left-handed bats a need, but we could go back and forth. Like you, you acquire a left-handed bat. Where are you going to play him? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's easy for me to say, just like, don't play AJ Pollock anymore and play this new guy that you've acquired. I don't know that they're going to do that. So while they need to get more left-handed, I'm just not sure what position that guy plays or how often, if you were to make a move like that. So let's talk about AJ Pollock. I have mentioned that the White Sox may need to move AJ Pollock if they do not have any interest in AJ Pollock playing for them in 2023. And the reason is that he has the player option. So if he opts in, it's a minimum of a $10 million salary, but there are escalators. He gains like a million dollars after the 400th plate appearance and 450 and 500 and 550. He's going to hit that mark because he's been healthier than expected for the White Sox this season. So he's just not going to be a $10 million outfielder. If you keep him for the entire season, he may be a 12 to $14 million outfielder on top of your payroll next year. Or if he doesn't like Chicago, which this is a total possibility, he can opt out, get $5 million from the White Sox after the season and go sign wherever he wants to go. If he wants to go back out West, he can go back out West. What do you think the White Sox do with AJ Pollock? I mean, I guess I would just assume that he's here. Um, but I mean, you make a good point. I, the thing that I was, I was unsure of that option, whether it meant like, you know, like he gets the money, like can the Sox buy him out regardless? I, I don't, I feel like they can't. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So he could pick it up. And like you said, like, would he pick up a $13 million option to play here next year? Maybe, but maybe not if he thinks there's a multi-year deal for him somewhere, right? Even if it's not much more money, like would he take 5 million from the White Sox and then sign for two and 19 somewhere, you know, maybe that's what we don't know. Um, So I just like, I don't really know why anybody would want AJ Pollock right now, personally, um, unless it's, you know, you want to trade AJ Pollock to the Yankees for Joey Gallo. Do you want to make that move and gamble on, the White Sox fixing what's wrong with Joey Gallo. I, I mean, I don't know. So I just, I, I think they might have to just like keep AJ Pollock, use him against left-handed pitching where he's been the most effective. And then maybe do something like I suggested where they insulate like Tyler Naquin or David Peralta or, you know, somebody not Gavin Sheets and Adam Hazley. I just, yeah, I, I don't know. And I mean, if Pollock does what he did today the rest of the year, like he could play every day, but he just, right. he's he's been, you know, he hasn't been what we've expected. Yeah, before game two Saturday night, where he had the game winning hit, I think realistically DFA AJ Pollock before August 2nd was on the table. Because again, if you're looking ahead to the 2023 season and you don't want this player to have this hook in all of the leverage, well, then let them go if you can't find a trade partner. But he has the game-winning hit, and he hits a three-run homer off Shane Bieber on Sunday. And it's like, well, the Chevy Beretta still got gas in it. Let's see if this uh, if this trade could still work out after all, even though he cost me a steak dinner, damn it. Yeah, but I do like the names that you brought up because they are realistic in acquiring for the White Sox. Who is a Katana coming back to the White Sox? I mean, that is a fantastic story. Just from a content perspective, that's a fantastic story. And if he were to join the White Sox, his first home start uh, would be quite the, the welcoming party. 
the name that I have on my list is Luis Castillo. Now I feel like Castillo is going to get moved. He and Frankie Montas are going to get moved. Getting someone like Luis Castillo, in my opinion, for the White Sox, one really hurts the Minnesota Twins because they really need to add a starting pitcher like Luis Castillo. But with the questions that we have regarding Lucas Giolito, and that came to fruition on Friday, and hopefully Lance Lynn continues to pitch this well, but as you mentioned with Michael Kopech on an innings limit, if you are able to acquire someone like Luis Castillo and you have Cease and Castillo going one, two into the postseason, James, that is where the random variance of the postseason could really play into the hands of the White Sox, where you have two outstanding starting pitchers and you feel really good about your chances, no matter who your opponent is, including the Houston Astros and the New York Yankees. And let's face it, that is the road to the World Series in the American League. You have to get through Houston or New York or maybe both teams this postseason. I'd feel a lot more confident of them reaching the postseason and doing some damage in the postseason if they had a pitcher of the caliber of Luis Castillo going number two behind Dylan Cease, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it would, it would be tremendous. But And I think this kind of goes back to something that you just mentioned like, I, I just, I don't think the White Sox are going to trade Colson Montgomery. Right. Um, so this is where, like, does Cincinnati like, do they love Garrett Crochet? Do they think he can start? Because, like, he's he's part of that deal. He has to be. Yes. You know, they, they just don't have enough, right? Like, if it's Garrett Crochet and then whatever, like, any number of, like, whoever you like out of, Brian Ramos and Jose Rodriguez and whatever else like is in the system. Like, sure. Right. Cause they're just, they're just going to get quite a bit. And I'm just, I don't, I feel like the white Sox lack a headliner. Now, could they get it done with Colson Montgomery? Possibly. Cause like last year, you know, we did the same draft show that we did this year and we do every year. I remember the reds being linked to Colson Montgomery. Like, may, you know, maybe that's a guy that they would want. I just, you know, for as good of a year as Colson Montgomery has had, I still feel like you might be selling low now. Like if you turn mm. around and dump him now, cause I think he's even going to get better. Like, I think he's, he's, you know, he's into like the top 50 ish range at baseball America. If he keeps doing what he's doing, I mean, he's going to start at double a next year, Josh as like a, whatever, 21 year old. Right? right. Like not that like, you know, you need to prospect hug and keep Colson Montgomery forever. Like you can trade him for sure. But you might be able to have like trade him in a headliner for something more later. So I just, I just feel like they're not going to do that yet, but who knows? Like maybe the Reds like the White Sox system for some reason, but they, they definitely need a starter. I, I think that's like Rick Hahn said, I think, you know, like, Oh, we'll explore that or whatever. He always says like, you know, they, they, they need a starter because Michael Kopech is not somebody that they should be relying on for the rest of the season. Let me ask you about Juan Soto. Do you think Juan Soto gets traded before the deadline? I mean, I guess it's like trending towards like, yes, because it seems like the Nationals are motivated. I don't, I have no idea what the package looks like because this should be like an all-timer, right? And like, I just, there's only so many teams that have enough prospects to get it done that could theoretically like also think about signing him. But on the flip side of that, and I think people lose sight of this, you're trading for two and a half years of Juan Soto. You're not mm -hmm. trading for Juan Soto plus his whatever 
14 year contract that you're going to sign him for. So, you know, there's, there's a few teams like Seattle could give up a lot. Can they sign him? I don't know. San Diego, New York, you know, those teams have the prospect capital to do it. I actually really like, not that you ever want to trade Juan Soto, but I kind of like what they could get from Seattle or San Diego like that. That makes some sense to me. It does seem like they're, they're motivated to do it for some crazy reason. And the learners are going to sell that team. And you know, the whole attached Patrick Corbin thing doesn't make much sense to me. Um, But it seems like it's going to happen. I'm just curious to see how much it holds up the rest of the trade market. Like you said, this like snuck up on us because of the draft. This is eight days from now. Like we're going to have trade rumors every day for the next eight days. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it will be fun. I, I'm citing to know Juan Soto doesn't get dealt in the off season. He gets traded maybe during the owner's meeting, but if he were to get traded before August 2nd, my horse to acquire Juan Soto is San Diego. And they, they do a deal surrounding like CJ Abrams. Uh, and they definitely have the prospect prospects to get that type of deal done. And they need an outfielder. The, the Padres need an outfielder. And I don't think adding Soto will help the Padres ca- catch the Dodgers to win the National League West, but it definitely helps them in the postseason. That's for sure. Well, and they have the they have the right GM to make the move too. Yes. This is going to take somebody. Like I don't even know how many GMs would even make this move. You know, <laughs> like and it sounds crazy, right? Like you're like, yeah. what do you mean you wouldn't trade for Juan Soto? Like you're gonna trade so much, you know, and you you and you would think that like most teams that would do it would at least like have the idea that they might keep him or try to keep him. Right. This isn't going to be like trade for Juan Soto for three playoff runs and then let him walk as a free agent. So there's just like not that many teams that, and I know that sounds like it sounds crazy, but it's going to be more money than we've ever seen. Not that he doesn't deserve it. He does. It's just, it's, it's going to be massive. It's, you know, 400 plus million dollars and, you know, he'll be, he'll be worth it, but it's just not something we've seen. So it's tough to kind of wrap your head around like what this is going to look like if it happens. Yeah. I can't wait for the Shohei Otani free agency sweepstakes and the Juan Soto sweepstakes. It's going to be, it's going to be crazy. The Aaron well, so, judge. Well, so sorry. So going back to like, they should trade Otani, right? They should. They're not going. To. No, they won't. But I mean, like, they, like, is he, if he's not staying, like that, he should probably move at this deadline too. The Angels, I think the Angels need a rebuild. And I think we are going to have, maybe not this year, maybe next year. I mean, the blueprint has already been in place. Jean-Carlo Stan in that gigantic contract got moved to the Yankees. So not no contract is immovable. I think we're going to see Mike Trout moved. Maybe not this year, but if the Angels are in the same position next year, I think the Angels need to just throw their hands up, cry uncle, and go into a rebuild. And trade Otani, trade Trout, restock your farm system, and start over again because it's not working. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait till until we hear that Artie Moreno is going to trade Mike Trout, but only if you'll take uh, Anthony Rendon's contract with him. Like it's, I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that either. Well, James, I appreciate you filling in for Jim again. Thanks for your help. And listeners, remember to listen to James and Mike Rankin tomorrow in a new Future Sox podcast. You guys got Jim Callis. 
uh, as they continue recapping the Chicago White Sox Major League Baseball draft action. Anything else that the listeners should be prepared for in tomorrow's future Sox podcast, James? So, you know, we, we talk about uh, the big league team a little bit, but it was mostly a draft recap. And we had one of the best guys in the business uh, to do it. He gave us a little like inside like TV too. Cause I, I kind of brought up our show, Josh, and how I was a little bit flustered. I got some messages about the, the Noah Schultz pick and didn't really know how to go with it. So I kind of asked Jim the same thing. I'm like, when did you know, Jim? And you know, how did, how did you feel? And he kind of talks through that on the podcast. So it was pretty cool. Well, awesome. So yeah, that's going to be a must listen again. That comes out Tuesday morning, the new future Sox podcast. You can subscribe to the future Sox podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And James, again, thank you so much for pinch hitting for Jim on this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, it was awesome. Anytime, Josh. Coming up next, it's Patrick Lyons from DNVRs. He'll help preview the White Sox and Rockies series. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast as the Chicago White Sox now travel from home the south side of Chicago to Denver, Colorado to face the Colorado Rockies as the Rockies are now 43-53 and 53 on the season. They have lost their last four games and they're currently fourth place in the National League West. They have one more game in Milwaukee against the Brewers before they have to fly back home and face the White Sox at home. Not sure who is responsible for making the schedule, but that's a weird one. In their last 10 games, the Rockies are 5-5, five and five, and they are a very different team at home compared to road. And that's the way it's been for years. At home, in Coors Field, the Rockies are 28-23. and 23. On the road, they're 15-30. and 30. The pitching problems for this series, Tuesday, 7.40 p.m. Central Time. This will be a watch party hosted by us at Sox Machine and along with our friends from the 108. It'll be Michael Kopech making his first start post-All-Star break. Wednesday, it's an afternoon game at 2.10 p.m. Central Time. Lucas Giolito will make that start, which leaves Johnny Cueto, Lance Lynn, and Dylan Cease against Oakland next weekend at home. More about the Rockies and where they stand before the Major League Baseball trade deadline. Join us is the Colorado Rockies beat reporter for DNVR. It's Patrick Lyons, and you can follow him on Twitter at Patrick D. Lyons. And Patrick, thank you so much for joining us here on the Sox Machine Podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Josh. I really appreciate it. So before we get into the Rockies, you and I were sharing DMs, and you surprised me by professing your love for the 1993 Chicago White Sox squad. 
Now, that's also my first White Sox team where I remember so much of the roster and their run to the American League Championship Series. So first, why do you love the 93 White Sox? And second, who are your favorite players on that roster? I'm not sure why I had such an affinity for that team. I was so young enough that it it may have had something to do with Bo Jackson being a club, right? He had just come over from the Royals at that point. But I can remember playing wiffle ball in my backyard, either against my dad or my uncle or my friends, and I could kind of switch hit. So I would go back and forth where, okay, I'm Lance Johnson. Now I'm Craig Graybeck. All right, I'm Dan Pasqua. That was my dude for a minute. You know, Lavalier, <laughs> Karkovice, Fisk, you know, mix and matching with my catching options. Robin Ventura and Frank Thomas. Thomas was my confirmation name as a kid growing up, also the name of my uncle. So there were kind of just all these little connections going on in there. And for some reason, the 93, uh, the White Sox got it done. And then later on, Jack McDowell ends up going to New York and uh, playing for my childhood team, which was the Yankees at that time. Yeah. Oh, man. That was a very dramatic move as uh, Jack McDowell and Jerry Reinsdorf did not like each other at the very end. And Jack will tell you about that. So here you are now covering the Colorado Rockies. And the Rockies are a team, Patrick, I don't have a good handle on. There was the whole Trevor Story episode last year. Wondering if he's going to get traded. Ended up not getting traded. He left for Boston, which I thought, all right, here's the beginning of a rebuild for the Rockies. And then the Rockies signed Chris Bryant, and I was floored. But he's been hurt. He's back, though, but he's been hurt for a big chunk of the season. And here are the Rockies again, 10 games below 500, and it's a very tough division. What's the direction this franchise is trying to take, Patrick? They may not necessarily have a direction, which is... Part of the biggest issue that they have, because as you say uh, and pointed out about Trevor Story and John Gray was also a candidate potentially to get a qualifying offer or to get moved at the deadline. That didn't happen. Daniel Bard could have been moved at the deadline. CJ Crone also on an expiring contract uh, at the end of the 2021 season, and yet they didn't do anything there. And they very likely may do nothing here at this trade deadline. Now, the owner is a little bit more hands-on than he probably should be, Dick Momford. And, you know, as, as some teams know, and, and Jerry Reinsdorf has had his good moments and other times not as much, that when you inject yourself in the team, you know, you're really not allowing the baseball people to do their baseball job. And so he's kind of gotten in the way of, of a lot of those things, uh, like, you know, nixing a trade uh, back in, in 2014 where they would have given up a guy who was a free agent that they could have just signed back and brought in an Eduardo Rodriguez. Uh, and yet that was something that the owner at the time stepped in and, and blocked. So I think the Rockies kind of have a, an issue with their image right now among, around MLB where there could be a lot of other general managers that probably don't want to do too much business with them because they could do a lot of work. They get a lot of legwork done and, and agree to a deal and then in the 25th hour, the owner steps in and says, you know what, we don't feel comfortable trading our lone all-star in C.J. Crone, or we don't feel comfortable trading a great guy that's been wonderful for the clubhouse and a guy who's helped you know, coach up a lot of the, the young players in our bullpen, like a Daniel Bard. And you know, these are, these are players that on any other club, when they're just out of it and can accept that they're out of it, would trade. But the Rockies don't exactly operate in that way, unfortunately. So what's the idea behind Chris Bryant then? Because this is a seven-year contract. 
is this a, an example that Dick Montfort has always loved Chris Bryant and he wants Chris Bryant wearing his uniform? Are they going to build around Chris Bryant? Because this is something that still boggles my mind, even though we're now more than 90 games into the season. That's certainly the narrative is that there's been this long infatuation with Chris Bryant dating back to 2013 when they could have possibly you know, taken him in, in, in that draft, but the Cubs were there just ahead of them. Uh, which again, the Rockies probably could have had that that second overall pick had they traded players at the deadline and gotten a little bit worse and therefore gotten a better draft pick, but they don't operate that way, unfortunately. So yeah, there uh, has been some infatuation with Chris Bryant. Now the the owner of the Rockies also invested in a piece of property across the street, kind of similar to what the Cubs have going on. It's called McGregor Square. Uh, it was at the heart of uh, everything that went down in 2021 at the All-Star Game. And so that was really helpful in in getting Coors Field and, and Denver as the host uh, to the 2021 All-Star Game. And so I think the idea is, well, look, we, we've got to sell some tickets. We also need to kind of fix our image a little bit because if you remember in less than a year's time, they went from – Having Nolan Arenado, having these issues with the general manager, they go ahead and, and trade him in a, in a lackluster package of prospects for the Cardinals. Also give them $50 million to take this generational player off their hands. Uh, the general manager then quits uh, into his final year of his deal, so they don't even have that GM. Trevor Story is disappointed that he's not traded at the deadline because he's ready to get on with with his career and get to get to the next stage of his life john gray in the offseason and all these things and you know coupled with the lockout couple couple bad images for dick monfort who uh, sat on a couple of the different groups uh that were negotiating for the owners and i think it was well look we've got some money to spend because people go to course field they show up really no matter what the product is which is part of the frustrating thing for people who cover this team is that you know i i'm I'm inclined to, you know, be fine with a, a tanking club with with a team that really stinks. Um, that there's there's something kind of romantic about that, or I can romanticize that. So I'd be okay with that because in the end, what you'd be getting is, you know, a, a much better shot at the postseason. Alas, they they don't really operate like that. So they're they're very middling, and uh, they go ahead and, and and get Chris Bryant to help with their image. They invested over four hundred million dollars this off season, and most of it was to players that they already had uh, that were, you know, that had maybe a year or two before free agency. Kyle Freeland and Ryan McMahon and Antonio Senzatella all had. Uh, free agency coming up following the 2023 season. So they locked them up to long-term deals. Elias Diaz got a three-year deal. CJ Crone got a two-year uh, extension that ends after 2023. And so there's a lot of good vibes in and around Denver. People are a little excited about the Colorado Rockies, but then you look at them, as you pointed out, they're 10 games under 500 at the bottom of the NL West, uh, you know, seven and a half games out of the final wildcard spot. And you should be throwing the towel in, but to do that, you know, is to ad admit failure. And there is a, there is a good core here, good core, maybe not a great core, but if you've got all those guys coming back and maybe some of the younger guys lower down in the farm system can do something in three, four years that basically the hope is when you show up to a game at Coors Field, you're going to recognize a bunch of the names because they've already locked them up to extensions. And uh, they frankly don't want to, to trade away other players and get themselves in the newspaper for, then losing and not admitting that they weren't going to be very good. So uh, I think they think it's a little more complicated 
than it actually is. It, it's okay to lose. Sometimes it's okay to lose 100 games if your team just isn't that good. Uh, they would rather you know go all in on a 65-70 win club because it would ensure that they don't lose 100 games. Got it. Yeah, the image is a big thing in Denver sports right now. The Avalanche won the Stanley Cup. Russell Wilson's going to be starting games soon for the Denver Broncos. The Denver Nuggets are a very good NBA team. For the Rockies, it, it feels like they're the fourth fiddle uh, in the city of Denver right now. Uh, so to break out as far as that image, and you know, right now they've got the spotlight until NFL training camp starts, then everyone's going to be paying attention to Russell Wilson and the Broncos in Denver. So that that's a really interesting point that you made as far as the image and try to gain fans trust in, in making these types of moves. And you alluded to the fact that CJ Crone may not get traded, but I have to imagine many teams are going to be calling about CJ Crone because he's having a heck of a season, Patrick. He's got 22 homers, 70 RBIs. He's got an 893 OPS. He is crushing the ball at Coors Field. He's got a 674 slugging percentage. Is this the final week of Crone? With the Rockies, if you had to guess, is he still a Rocky after Tuesday, August 2nd, or do you see him being shipped off elsewhere? He probably stays a Colorado Rocky, which can be baffling to a lot of people listening to your your intro there, like understanding like, hey, this is a guy right where you could bring back some some decent prospects, especially if you package him with another player, you know, Jose Iglesias, Chad Cool, Alex Colome, guys that were signed on one-year deals that the the fans don't really have that same connection to where if they hear this guy gets traded, they'll be really disappointed. I don't even think there's a much of an emotional connection to CJ Crone because if you go to any game at Coors Field, you very well may never see anyone wearing a CJ Crone jersey. I've yet to see anyone with a CJ Crone jersey. People really love him. They, they enjoy him. Connor Joe is more of a fan favorite kind of guy that they got in left field, right field, first base. Uh, but with CJ Crone, I think, again, they're very much worried about that image. You know, Bud Black is not necessarily the type of manager that wants to be a part of a rebuild. So you trade CJ Crone, there's going to be a big hole in the middle of your lineup. Uh, he has a, you know, one more year left on his deal for 2023, basically sign an extension for that. So uh, I don't think they have, he has that interest in, in rebuilding, even if it is just one player. Uh, it, it seems like, again, historically, they don't really trade players away. Michael Givens last year was traded at the deadline uh, and they brought back actually a prospect that they had had lost in a previous deal. So there was something more to that. There were other things maybe behind the scenes as to why uh, they were able to, you know, finally pull the trigger and, and trade a player away. Um, but before Michael Givens in 2021, the last player that the Rockies had ever traded away at the deadline, other than Troy Tulowitzki, which was a lot more about money in 2015, was Marco Scudero in 2012. Keep in mind, between 2012 through uh, 2016, they had lost an average of something like 95, 96 games, and yet they did not think to trade any of their players at the deadline. They had Justin Morneau in 2014. He came back. He had that nice resurgency, right? I he remember. was part of the All-Star game, uh, representing the National League in the Home Run Derby. Wasn't an All-Star, but was in the Derby. Still had another year left on his deal. Would have been a great time to possibly trade that asset Alas, they did not. He was hurt, only played like 93 more games over the next season and a half, and he becomes a free agent, and the Rockies, again, get nothing for their assets, which is what I believe is going to happen with C.J. Crone once we get through the August 2nd deadline. So Charlie Blackman 
is still raking, first of all, especially at home. He's hitting 308, 358, 524 at Coors Field. White Sox fans for years, Patrick, have mocked trades involving black men to join the White Sox. But the Rockies, as you have pointed out, they have kept these players, such as Todd Helton. No matter what the situation is, Helton never got moved away from Denver. Is Charlie Blackman going to be a Rocky for life? Most definitely, yes. <laughs> going back to your question about CJ Chrome, one of the other things about the Rockies organization, which is interesting, and it's it's uh, you know it's a gift and a curse. They're very loyal to a fault, so they want to protect their guys. They want to look after their their players, and you know I I think there's there's a certain type of thinking like oh man we just signed you to a deal if we turn around and trade you we, we're kind of doing you dirty a little bit or there might be future free agents that say hey if, if i sign here and maybe even long term you know are you going to trade me that's what you did to cj crone or what you did to justin morneau so i think they're kind of hesitant to do that with with charlie blackman you know he's basically now number two in so many different categories behind todd helton uh, as mr rocky 2.0 uh, i think number 19 will probably get retired at it took Larry Walker needing to get into the actual Hall of Fame before the Rockies finally got that done. That obviously having a little little bit to do with uh, ownership in the front office and and some uh, disagreements with Larry Walker exactly. But Charlie Blackman's uh, you know he's a company man and the company likes him and I, I think he's very comfortable. I, uh, I don't know of any deals that he's nixed in the last couple of years since he signed. Uh, that multi-year extension in 2018. Uh, but I can imagine, you know, he's told the front office, no, I, I don't want to go anywhere. You know, if even if the team is gets a little middling or even if it has a down, uh, you know, cycle, whatever it may be, I, I'm comfortable in Colorado. And, and, I, and I think that's true. He has one more year left on his deal. It's a player option for $10 million. And it really wouldn't surprise me if the Rockies extended him and said, ah, we'll give you two years, $19 million. So you can stay a, a little while longer. He finally just got his 10 years of service time um, in, in the major league. So that's nice. And I, I think he would rather stay a, a lifetime Rocky only uh, really only the second uh, behind Todd Helton. All right. So there you go. White Sox fans. We can stop mocking Charlie Blackman to the White Sox in off season trade ideas in the Sox machine off season plant project. Who do you see starting for the Rockies Tuesday and Wednesday against the White Sox? I think uh, do up in the in the order right now. Rockies have six guys in their rotation. Austin Gomer essentially been moved to the bullpen. They're going to need the six because they've got 18 games uh, over the course of of 17 days, so they don't have very many off days. And they have a doubleheader in San Diego on trade deadline day on August 2nd. So that's going to be a wild one. I'll be in in San Diego for that one, and it's going to be uh, a long day to say the least. Yeah, just just on that game, San Diego. We know San Diego. They're going to be hunting for Juan Soto. I know they're going to be hunting for Juan Soto. So you're going to be there on a doubleheader, trade deadline day. All this activity is going around, and you got to cover two games. Good luck, Patrick. <laughs> Pretty much. I think I need to record a podcast because we go five days a week on DNVR Rockies podcast. So. Uh, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out at some point. I'll sleep when I'm dead, uh, as they say. But for the for the White Sox series, if you want to call it that, maybe it's a series. Uh, but Herman Marquez and uh, and it, it very well could be uh, Austin Gomber there in that spot. Um, otherwise, it should be Antonio Sensatella who did open the break. So one of those two guys. But Herman Marquez, he was uh, the Rockies' lone All Star in 2021, and 
was a guy who, you know, he's had, he had some bad starts in the second half, but he's really their most prized asset. He's, you know, kind of similar to Ubaldo Jimenez in, in 2010, 2010, Ubaldo was, you know, lights out, started the all-star game was, you know, through a no hitter there in Atlanta, the only no hitter that's ever been thrown in Rockies history. And Marquez has that potential. He came close a couple times uh, in the first half last season. And the first half of this year just was, has been really fractured. Uh, it seems like he's lost a lot of confidence in himself, believe it or not, but he's really gotten back on track in his last three or four starts. So he's getting hot at the right time for the Rockies, but at the exact wrong time for the Chicago White Sox to be coming to town because they might be facing that all-star pitcher from 2020. Yeah, Marquez is someone that I've always had an eye on, and I really like his game when he is on. And yeah, he's the type of right-handed pitcher that gives White Sox hitters big-time fits. So Patrick, the final question here, who's playing good baseball for the Rockies as of late that White Sox fans should be aware of? Well, Chris Bryant homered on on Sunday. He really started to heat up. You know, he missed 50 games. They were 20 and 30 at that point. And, you know, going back to what we were talking before about the Rockies front office and how they evaluate things, if they want to be, well, creative, I I guess would be the word, and just choose to parse out the games in which Chris Bryant has been healthy, they have a very good winning percentage, even still after uh, three straight losses in Milwaukee to start the second half. So they could very well think, hey, wait a minute, our team is actually really good when Chris Bryant's healthy. And if he stays healthy, maybe we can sneak into the postseason. I don't think that's going to happen. But Bryant, you know, he's really been back on his game in a major way. Um, he's He's one of those players to look out for. And then a sneaky one that, you know, White Sox fans are going to know fairly well is Jose Iglesias. Now, he is more comfortable on the road than he is at home. So he has reverse road splits. I think you mentioned early on about how players, you know, hit so well at Coors Field and not on the road. And that's ultimately because curveball doesn't break very much at altitude. So it looks like a real easy pitch to hit. It's not that it's carrying really far. It's just that it looks easy. It's like, you know, 75% of what it would be normally. And then when they see it on the road, now it's amped up. Now you're getting 100% of a curveball and it's really drastic for them to make that transition on the road. But for Iglesias, this is his first year in Denver and he's, he straight up said like, yeah, I, I, the road is where I'm comfortable. The road is what I'm used to. So he's, you know, was, was hitting close to 400 at one point on the road and below 300 at Coors Field. So he's, he's, you know, hanging around 300 overall. He's been there. He's kind of been up and down all around the lineup wherever Bud Black needs him. So he's been one of those sneaky guys that, uh, I'm sure White Sox fans remember uh, back when he was with the uh, the Tigers. I'm sure he, he probably traumatized you guys uh, a little bit back then. As well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I still remember those singles. And he's a very good defender. Very good defensive shortstop. Again, someone that has been named as possible trade baits. But as Patrick has mentioned, the Rockies may not be that busy before the trade deadline for reasons. <laughs> Iglesias is probably the number one guy when you ask around. It seems like, yeah, he he could be the one. Uh, they do have a big prospect down in Double A. He's hurt right now, Ezekiel Tovar. Uh, but still, I don't think they're they're too worried uh, about 
you know, having their, you know, utility guy play shortstop there. So Iglesias could be the, he could be the best bet, honestly, for anyone uh, to get traded. And he played second base last year with Boston late, helped them out in the stretch. So I think he'd be willing to, to move over to uh, second base. I'm not sure if the White Sox have a hole uh, after trading Nick Madrigal last year, but uh, yeah, maybe, maybe he's in the different color uh, pinstripes uh, in, uh, in a week or two from now. Well, you could read, listen, and watch Patrick's work on DNVR, which their website is thednvr.com. And you can follow Patrick on Twitter at Patrick D. Lines and quiz him about the 1993 Chicago White Sox all series long. Patrick, this was awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us and look forward to catching up with you again in September when the Rockies visit Chicago. It's a date, man. Sounds good, Josh. Thanks so much for having me. That will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. Huge thank you to Patrick Lyons of DNVR to help preview the upcoming series between the White Sox and the Colorado Rockies. And of course, James Fox again for filling in for Jim Margulis. And hopefully Jim Margulis will be joining me soon on a future episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. But whether you're brand new to Sox Machine or a longtime lurker of Sox Machine, you could help support us on patreon.com slash socks machine where our patreon supporters they get more they get exclusive content they get ad free versions of the boat the podcast the website and they are also the first ones to acquire our socks machine swag when we have new items monthly plans start at two dollars and you can save with an annual subscription again sign up at patreon.com slash socks machine you can subscribe to the socks machine podcast wherever you listen to podcasts such as spotify and apple music and the Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your own for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.